Hello and welcome to this episode 142 of Extinctionati. And uh, we will uh, try to, to throw some light on the latest IPCC climate panel report that was or was not uh, released past this Monday. And uh, I kind of see a pattern here because, uh, you know, I've been around for a couple of winters and uh, for the past two reports, at least, they tried to go into some kind of concept art uh, tradition where they tried to erase the difference between a release party and a non-release party. So that they're, they're going to Stockholm or they're going to Interlaken in Switzerland and say, yeah, we have this new report and everybody who looks for the new report figures out uh, there's no new report, there's some kind of summary and a new report may be around next year, uh, which was the case in 2013. That report came on the last day of January 2014. So everybody who went to Stockholm came home without a report and uh, everybody on the internet had to wait like six months uh, for the report. And at the same time this Monday, where they released their final um, synthesis report, uh, or didn't release, as the case may be, uh, for the sixth uh, assessment report series of IPCC climate reports. So that report is not yet out yet, and we are waiting around in anticipation. Uh, all we got was a summary and something they called longer report, which was longer, but it wasn't a report. So, you know, so I'm kind of looking at IPCC as a part of what everybody now calls the clown world, you know, where, where everything is kind of upside down, turfy, topsy-turvy and uh, just looking silly, you know, where the general secretary of the UN has no audio on his mic and that kind of stuff, you know, that they've just been uh, working nine years on this latest report and they haven't figured, figured out basic audio issues like uh, uh, three, four years ago when they released the cryosphere report, I think, they had massive feedback on their speakers uh, in the uh, in the press release uh, room and even though they didn't want to talk about the uh, feedback mechanisms at all the, te the, the technique was talking very loudly and increasingly loud about feedbacks uh, so yeah so they're trying to play the uh, total amateur card and uh, playing into the clown world uh, meme and they don't know anything about any audio, video things at all. Uh, and the sort of the laziest kid on the internet has better uh, video and audio skills than the United Nations, which gets loads of tax money for, from everybody on, on the planet. Okay, so that was my little sarcastic intro. And uh, today we, ha we have... Uh, Dean Walker on my right here on the screen, and uh, you're a special guest for us because uh, we had a little chat uh, last Tuesday, Dean, and uh, if you're anything like me, you have the long and winding road together with the IPCC climate panel, 
mm-hmm. sort of uh, as a villain and hero, back to villain again, and then hero, and it's kind of a messy ride. So can you take us into what this climate panel really is and uh, how you relate to it in your <laughs> life? Um, I'd be happy to, and it's uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. I, um, I've had a couple of opportunities to be in various pockets of Reddit, and um, <clears throat> it's it's astounding to me how, how broad and deep the communities are, the layers of different communities. So uh, I'm as much here to to find out, you know, where people other than myself stand on these topics and it's just a real pleasure torstein i I just uh think i made it clear for you tuesday when we talked that you know i just think it's a a real opportunity every time i get uh to speak with you because you you definitely bring an extraordinary grounded uh and often different um point of view than I have and different in a good way that I, I feel expanded by it. So, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I, all I can tell you is, well, I'm, I'm Dean Walker. I, um, I've been uh, putting together a lot of uh, resources and support for the collapse aware and collapse acceptant communities uh, around the world, <clears throat> excuse me, in my little organization. I have a little website and offer a online community space where there's courses and that sort of thing. And uh, part of that is what I call the sober data, which is uh, what I filled up half of my uh, 2017 book called The Impossible Conversation uh, about all this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I, I don't think I'm going to be too far distant from many of the folks on on this stream. Um, I, I've always held it that the IPCC is really just the mouthpiece for a very tightly controlled narrative. And uh, uh, as, as sincere as I know that the scientists are that are doing all that important work, uh, I consider it just a small fragment of what we're actually facing. Uh, you know, that being the the climate change issue and how we measure it in parts per billion, parts per million, and so on and so on. Um, it's it's just an extraordinarily and excruciatingly controlled narrative, uh, from my point of view. And I, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not exactly well known in the doomosphere, if you will. Uh, but I did have a couple of years ago, uh, in anticipation of the uh, COP meeting in Scotland, I was invited to write an essay for a comp- compilation of essays for that particular COP. And and uh, it was my first really opportunity to, to write something directly about my experience of the COP process and, and how I was looking into the, the future through that lens. And um, what I can tell you just to cut to the chase so I don't bore you with the story. I mean, I was impressed because I first time I was asked to write something like that. So I thought, wow, this is important. But it wasn't important enough. Uh, I did not make it into that book, uh, mostly because I told it like it is for me, which is that this is a functionless process. It is uh, 
<clears throat> one in which uh, you, you've also included the word agency in the agenda for today's conversation. And um, no matter how hard I look, I can't find uh, the, the notion of agency for myself or anybody at, at a non-corporate, non-corporatized government level uh, of expression. Uh, all the rest of us, we in my interpretation of it, we don't have any agency in this process. And uh, so I particularly was struck by the foul uh, results produced and the, the events themselves in both Scotland and, and then the most recent COP meeting. And then this report, uh, I think it's nice that they put some stronger language in. Um, and I, I have a hard time taking the reports and the events seriously. So let me just stop there. Cause I, I don't want to just be, uh, <laughs> a buzzkill for the conversation. <laughs> I'd like to hear what other people have, if there are particular points of view or particular questions um, that people would like to spark the conversation. I think that gives you a little bit of sense of what I do, which is providing support and resources for the Collapse Aware community. And then my thoughts about COP are um, not particularly um, flattering to the process i i do appreciate the sincere work that that the many scientists do um but i i hold no hope or agency within that that my experience of the of the whole ipcc arrangement so let me just stop there and see if that <laughs> sparks any conversation yeah. No, that's very very good uh i think uh, i think we find ourselves now in uh in a new situation uh, as far as science and misuse of science or, or the, the concept of science, what people call science on, on the television. You know, we had uh, Mr. Fauci uh, who told everybody that he was science. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and if he really were, were science, then that science changed dramatically from week to week uh, for the for the uh, pandemic situation because he contradicted himself very clearly uh, right. over and over and over again. Uh, so I think it's, uh, it's uh, and Karina can attest to this, this. It's, it's kind of a new situation that er where everybody who has been alive for the past two years, three years, uh, are asking themselves, okay, so if they lie about this stuff, right? Uh, yes. who, says yes. they, who says they're not lying about climate change and everything else. And I think the the question is a very good one, uh, of course. Um, because the way I see it, we have to follow uh, actual science as science is for itself, uh, even independent of the, of the particular scientists, you know, because scientists uh, are, they like money, like everybody else. They can be corrupted. Uh, they can be forced to Mm -hmm. uh, step in uh, in line with uh, their institution uh, and, and to sort of say popular things to get new grants from the government and whatever. True. So I think uh, I, I um, appreciate and uh, uh, yeah, I 
I think it's a good thing that people are asking these questions and trying to look at the hard facts about uh, climate within science yeah, yeah. You know, because it's um, it's always a bad thing when people say that the, the science is settled or everybody agrees because that's not what science is about. Science uh, is and should be about right. raising different perspectives at least and uh, and developing the understanding of the thing of study. Karina, um, can you help me out here? Um, oh yeah, no, I, I totally agree. <laughs> I, I liked what you uh, said about um, just how this, there's so many so much misinformation and inconsistencies and about the science. I just wanted to mention something I learned. I, I read, I, I'm so glad I read James Hansen's book. Um, I wouldn't be motivated today, but I read it twice. It was really hard to read. Wow. Um, it was torture actually, but it's really, it's helped me ground me uh, when I read papers. And so I, I he, I look at the big picture, you know, but he made a really interesting um, observation in his book, Storms of My Grandchildren. He's, mm -hmm. he's come out with a new book. You can actually get it like a rough draft on his site. But I just wanted to quote what, you know, he's been very frustrated with the IPCC. Mm -hmm. and, and just to quote um, how he describes the work of the IPCC from from his uh, Storms of My Grandchildren. Um a lesser scientist might have prepared a report that went into great detail about climate complexities and how climate and carbon, dio carbon dioxide were changing year by year, then made some estimates about how things might continue to change in the future, all with large uncertainty. I am not criticizing the reports of the IPCC. Those detailed reports have also a useful place. But, uh, but Cherney chose a different path. And Cherney, in his book, he describes, and he actually, he, he just came out with a paper um, this year with a bunch of people and another other scientists. But it, when reading the paper, it feels like a continuation of his book. So I've been reading it little bit by little bit. But he talked about Cherney, uh, Jules Cherney um, was, is, is like very important to Hansen's work. And he, um, Cherney was hired by Pre President Jimmy Carter because Jimmy Carter was very worried about the opening up of projects uh, like the gasification of coal and fracking. He was very worried. Maybe that's why he didn't end up becoming into a second term. So he, he hired Cherney from the, um, uh, gosh, it's the Academy, National Academy of Science that was created by Abraham Lincoln to tackle big projects. I think that's what it's called, the National Academy of Science. Mm -hmm. um, and Cherney, just this really brilliant scientist, what he did is he he did a, um, he's known for his climate sensitivity. What would happen if you double CO2? What would happen mm -hmm. to the temperature at equilibrium? And um, in his, it's so interesting because, and this is where I have questions for you, Torstein, because you follow a lot of ice, you know? But um, so what Cherney did in this in this um, this model is it's his, is the you know it's a model that he came out with um, you know back during Carter's time, but what he did was he focused on the fast feedbacks the ones that are relevant to 
uh, art, you know, timeline that's relevant to 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 us, you know, to the public. And he, um, the ones that he deemed most significant were clouds, aerosols, water vapor, snow cover, and sea ice change rapidly in response to climate change. Um, so he, you know, he went in, this is where, you know, you were, uh, I think you were mentioning that the IPCC wasn't talking enough about feedbacks. It, I think one of you guys mentioned that. Um, so, so basically he chose, he implied in his model that he would um, keep um, the ice sheets, vegetation, and long um, and long-lived uh, greenhouse gases are fixed. So the ice sheets, meaning the land ice sheets. So, so basically, he he left out the ice sheets on Greenland and Antarctica, which he categorizes as slow feedbacks. Um, so. So the IPCC, you you would wonder why aren't they, you know, following Cherny? Because th this is more of a, um, you know, the climate is very sensitive, and yeah, um, he he so yeah. he really appreciates Cherny and his contribution, and he doesn't he he doesn't care so much for the um, IP. He says it's important the reporting, but it doesn't really. There's a lot of uncertainty and. Um, like I was mentioning earlier, um, just to repeat, um, you know, that how the climate and carbon dioxide, you know, reporting on how CO2 greenhouse gases are changing year by year, and then making some estimates and how things might continue to change in the future, all with large uncertainties. And that's what I feel. Do you guys feel that with the, with the IPCC reporting? It's just, it, I feel like yeah. it's even it's just it, it's like they're just reporting on what's happening and that's it you know and they're not looking yeah. at the big picture of the the scary feedbacks and the you know the absolutely the and the, and you forcings. and you you leave out uh, those ice sheets uh, at your peril uh, uh, literally uh, i remember it's not not many reports ago i think it's like two or three reports ago then uh, the IPCC tried to assess the sea level rise uh, prospects for the 21st century, you know, for 2100. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, you know, when the oceans get a bit warmer, the molecules expand. So we're looking at like 20, 30 centimeters for the rest of the century. And uh, in the footnotes, it says, yeah, we left out uh, the big ice sheets, you know, Greenland and Antarctica. Not because they won't contribute with enormous amounts of meltwater, but because it's uh, difficult to assess. So yeah. because it's difficult uh, to assess, the IPCC report sets it to zero centimeters. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that makes sense, right? Uh, yeah, well, the thing is, that, though, uh, talking about that, there's, there's a, and you probably know more about this, Torsing, because you study the ice, there's a difference between because in Cherney's report, he he was including the um, sea ice, not the land ice. So sea ice is what floats, which is in the Arctic and also around Antarctica, there's sea ice. And that's what's melt, you know. So so um, now the 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 ice on the shelves, the continental shelves in the Arctic, that's considered land ice. So we have to, it, it I wish they would go into more, you know, Hansen would go into more detail about this because um, 
once you start melting away also the sea ice, whatever buttresses the land ice, and that's looking like it's happening in the Arctic. And like you said, uh, Torstine, it, it's looking like it. Think in the last two years, things are really melting now. It's been dormant in the Antarctica, but now things are melting, you know. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think maybe if it's okay with you, Karina, maybe we could leave some of the ice uh, developments uh, for a little bit later today, and sure. uh, and and uh, can go on roasting the IPCC a bit more. You know, <laughs> they, they really deserve it. They really deserve it, and we, we don't want to we don't want to delay that roasting. Uh, so if you imagine. One of these long <laughs> roast pins, and and somebody slowly turning uh, over the coals, uh, the body of the IPCC, or maybe the collective number of reports uh, that they uh, emitted. Um, yeah, as I um, as I as I uh, uh, introduced uh, the report, it, the report itself isn't even out yet. You know, it's like we're still waiting. Uh, for the presumed uh, Monday uh, final report, final warning report, um, you know, as if as if they're not going to to issue more warnings and, and go on screeching like like the right side of politics would, would say about climate alarmists. Uh, yeah, they will go on screeching about alarm uh, for many many years uh, yet. Um, and I think, you know, when I, when I think back to to the previous report uh, that didn't come out in 2013, that was delayed to 2014, uh, that triggered something in me because then I finally realized, based on the little, the very little research I'd done, it triggered something in me when I read the relevant parts of the report in 2014 and saw that they were totally dismissive about uh, uh, the uh, Siberian taiga, the forest burning that couldn't happen or wouldn't happen in any uh, big way. Yeah. And the same thing for methane releases. They were very stable and could, no, could uh, not uh, go crazy at all. Everything was sort of, everything that they didn't, completely know would happen they said this won't happen you know and the, the way i always understood ipcc since i was a teenager uh, is that they're not going to we, we don't want the climate panel to only tell us what already happened just like you said karina they're more yeah. like describing what uh, happened and what they can no longer deny we want the we wanted the ipcc to look around the corner and see what's coming you know is this really dangerous when it's going to be dangerous and uh, what if anything can we do about it right but they're yeah. more like uh, they're more like uh, yes i think saudi arabia can keep pumping oil and i think we can just go on business as usual uh, for another decade that's more like their job you know if if, if you and i if the three of us see them failing it's because we don't know what their job is, what their job description is. Mm -hmm. Their job description is more like, uh, how can we 
keep everyone calm uh, through this uh, shitstorm? And how can we give the governments who are our um, bosses in, in this arrangement, how can we give our, uh, uh, the governments of the world a green light to go on doing whatever, whatever they want to do, like uh, wage wars and uh, look for oil, coal and oil and gas. Um, yeah, so so I was thrown into this uh, great doubt about everything uh, back in 2014. The only thing I knew was I, I didn't trust and couldn't trust any politicians. I couldn't trust any mainstream media. I couldn't trust any scientists who were, was allowed to speak in mainstream media. Okay, so you, you basically you cannot trust people. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. The only ones you can trust is, is if you, for some reason, uh, you know a, a climate scientist personally, you know, from high school or university or something, right? Um, but that, that wasn't the case in my uh, in my situation. So what, what I had to do was to uh, dive into the the raw data of things, uh, and uh, the most available raw data at the time was the data for CI's extent and stuff. And then I soon found out uh, via the CI's forum on the internet that there was something called volume and thickness that was more important than the surface uh, extent and area and stuff, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, so I, I studied that and found out how to visually present it so that I could understand it and other people could understand it. And when you do that, you kind of find out that what they call the tipping points and points of no returns. Uh, you can so, sort of find out by reflecting on the, the graphs and the numbers yourself that in some cases uh, the tipping point for this kind of ice was back then, back there, maybe 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 before we put up the satellites to, to observe uh, the sea ice, right? In, in some cases that is the situation. And, uh, and there's also an interesting... Uh, Thing that I think you, Dean, you had an interview with uh, Kevin Hester, uh, where he put this point that uh, uh, a decade or two ago there was a lot of talk about tipping points, but mm. now that we've passed those tipping points, it's gone awfully quiet about tipping points from those same uh, media uh, savvy scientists. So it's like when it was opportunistic to talk about tipping points because that was a strong argument to, to you know to force uh, business and governments to, to do some more action on, on the thing <clears throat> then they talked about tipping points but when we were, had actually started seeing them in in our uh, back mirror uh, when we mm -hmm. were ahead of the tipping points or on the other side of the tipping points it just goes dead quiet and and that's uh, where you have the expression in english that uh, silence speaks volumes. Comment anyone to that? Well, uh, talking about, can you guys hear me? Yes. Oh, talking about the tipping points, according to, um, uh, oh gosh, what is that called? Um, the German group under, he's a famous um, German scientist, 
I think you Sheldon guys... Huber. Um, he's he's more current. Um, uh-huh. he said, yeah. So basically, um, let me see. I, I think they have it here. Uh, Potsdam, yes, from the Potsdam Climate Institute in Germany, that there are there's a really nice map of of their tipping points, and they say the the vulnerable tipping points, um, and they say that the ones that have tipped officially are is the Arctic sea ice and the West Antarctic ice sheets. Um, so the, the, and I think and that assumes the sea ice. I that's what I'm assuming the West Antarctic sea ice because it's below sea level. So those are the two that officially have tipped according to the Potsdam Institute, but they have a, but they have a really nice map um, showing like all the vulnerable tipping points. Yeah, I think the Western Antarctic is, um, is a land ice actually. Because, oh, like it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's sea ice. I, I part, well, it's, there's land and there's mm-hmm. sea. There's, there's both, but I think, um, that's the part that's still confusing to me is is um, which of it is sea and which of it is land, you know? No, it's, it's basically as simple as uh, sea ice is salt water ice, you know? It's, right, it's salt exactly. Water. Uh, and everything that is dumped in the sea from the land is, is still kind of land ice or glacier ice. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I think, but I th- but I think it's a point uh, uh, of confusion for satellites. I think the satellites are more like, oh yeah, there's some ice in the water, that's sea ice. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Greenland calving icebergs and stuff uh, are counted as sea ice by the satellites. So so it's really- Oh, wow, I didn't know that. So, so, so I think it's really much less, uh, uh, many cubic kilometers less uh, actual sea ice than they report because, uh, you know, up in Ilulissat, in Jakobshavn, um, the ice fjord there is like uh, actual cubic kilometers of icebergs. One iceberg is like one kilometer in every direction, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and it if it's uh, if it stands two hundred meter above surface, it's grounded at eight hundred meter below surface on the bedrock. So that they are really really huge, and if they are counted as uh, sea ice. That's like a very big uh, error, you could say. Uh, you know, oh yeah, yeah. To freeze to freeze that much sea ice uh, around Greenland uh, is it's just not done any any longer. It's, yeah. Uh, too late for that. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. I have another comment, but I, Dean, I wanted to let you speak. Um, it's about protests in France, and I saw something interesting that may as we were talking about the IPCC, IPCC so, um, but Dean, you go first, because I... Okay. You know, I, I, I'd i like to stay on this thread for just a, a bit longer, because I so appreciate both of you, obviously, putting in some time, some sincere, some sincere time over these years uh, about the issue of sea level rise. And obviously, that has a lot to do with the distinctions of what is land ice, what is sea ice, and so on. Uh, particularly, Karina, I'm I'm curious uh, if you've, in reading Hansen's books, book or or books, I have not read them, but I've been trying to follow up since uh, I was doing the research for my book. It's it's got to be what is that? Uh, that's six years now. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, back six years ago, I was I stumbled across uh, a headline or some sort of mention of Hansen's uh, estimation that we were looking at uh, three feet of sea level rise every 10 years for the foreseeable future. And, and to me, that would just literally took my breath away. Like, oh my God, that is so much larger scale than anybody is talking about. So I just want to plant that seed with you. If you know anything about that or give, give me a thread to follow, because I've tried to find some, any of his reports, any of his um, um, findings that's, that reflect that, you know, like the real deal, like the, the actual report. So if you know anything about that, uh, I'd like to just plant that seed. And for anybody who's watching this, if you know anything about that uh, projection from Hansen. The other is in at the back end of uh, <clears throat> Dar Jamail's book, Farewell to Ice. Uh, he was also, as he did so beautifully in all the different dimensions of his book, he uh, was with a, a climate scientist and, and, an, and particularly a scientist who had a tremendous amount of uh, expertise around sea level rise again. And this was with regard to uh, the looking back through the uh, the records of parts per million of CO2 mm-hmm. following that track. And uh, what this particular, and I'm sorry, this is just me remembering because you're uh, what you've been talking about. Uh, when he was, he had talked with this particular scientist and the projection was something in the ballpark of a hundred parts per million increase of CO2 could and would yield a hundred feet of sea level rise. And that's nowhere near what I'm hearing from anybody else at any level, certainly not from the IPCC. And so uh, I, I plant those two seeds, seedlings with y'all so that if, if you know anything about either of those projections, I'd love to get uh, to, to see the actual reports, the, the, the calculations that, are, that that's based on. Um, and I, it's also immensely provocative. I've been carrying both of those and I just haven't had the space to uh, to do that uh, conclusive research on my part. So I'll just leave that with you. I don't want to nudge into a new topic yet. I appreciate you giving me the space. And Karina, if you want to go ahead and bring up oh, the pieces that you sure. just wanted to bring up. And I'm also curious, do you have any response to those two uh, you know, floating elements and, and have any, any, any way to um, bring it to more of a conclusion? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think. So, uh, oh, sorry. Oh. Sorry. Can, can I just have a very short intermission? Sure. Uh, because I think uh, it's this is relevant to to the point of why why IPCC was really uh, started. You know, back in the nineteen eighties. Uh, because then, then as now, you had people like uh, Jim Hansen, uh, who who did the his or their research and published it and uh, said things the hard way the, how things really are right and and the the reason as a, more and more people understand now that they uh, the americans actually or the cia uh, initiated the ipcc was that they wanted to silence those kind of 
quote-unquote activist right. scientists. Right. Uh, they didn't want people like Kevin Anderson and Jim Hansen to just right. go, go to the media yeah. with their stuff and, yeah. and scare, scare the shit out of everybody. Yeah. So instead they wanted to have the government uh, in control in a panel in Switzerland to, to sort of uh, pick the, the, the right scientists, the, the scientists exactly. they want to hear from. So uh, that's my short intuition. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I was trying to point at in my first comment, which is the controlled narrative. There's just it's like a straitjacket for the conversation. There is no conversation because it is so controlled. I think that's really well said, Thorstein. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so uh, this is gonna this is gonna sound surprising, and, and I hope I'm not causing more confusion. Um, I'm kind of. I'm kind what I've been very I'm I'm not worried about sea level rise because okay, so James Hansen, this is where I um depart from James Hansen. He has a lot of faith in humanity and technology, and I don't at all. I just I'm just kind of like, you know, and so he and Hansen is trying to save this planet-eating civilization, which I call it. Um, and so see. So sea level, it's interesting because he, he talks about, and I'll, I'll get back to the sea level. My, my big worry is the overheating of the planet. Um, and, um, so, so sea level, you know, sea level rise. And just to quote Hansen real quick in his, he just did a paper with a bunch of scientists this year. And he, he's going to come out with a sea level rise in the pipeline. This so the paper is called Global Warming in the Pipeline, and it's going to be followed up by sea level rise in the pipeline, where he they're going to present evidence that continued warming and increasing ice melt can cause shutdown of the overturning ocean circulations within decades and large sea level rise within a century. So, um, so going back to that, one thing that James Hansen, um, so heat is the overheating is, is on my mind big time, but Hansen has an interesting theory that he kind of talks about in the book, but he doesn't elaborate a lot. I don't know why, maybe because he doesn't sea level rise is a very, it's very, um, uh, scientists like to talk about it because it's, it's the, mo it's, you know, scientists tend to be conservative. And so it, you know, they like to be as precise as possible and sea level rise is much, you know, is more precise. Liling Chang and Kevin Trenberth have really good articles on sea level, you know, on, on the ocean, sea level rise and that. So I'll, I can, I can get those for you too, but um, going back to um, inertia. So in his book, Hansen talks about the three largest sources of inertia. Um, the number one is ocean. Number two is is ice inertia. Number three is global energy systems. One thing about Hansen that he doesn't talk about, and I haven't never heard him talk about, is that we are running out of cheap fossil fuels. And it's looking like, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Gail Tverberg, but I follow her, her stuff very closely. It looks as if this whole thing could be crashing, you know, who knows, but in the, in the next few years, like a Jenga puzzle or whatever. So, but James Hansen never brings that up, which is, you know, this is, it's an integral part of trying to figure out what's, what's, what's going to happen in the future. So, but the set, so the oceans have been taking the brunt of the heat 
they're they're taking over 90% of the heat that humans have added to the planet. Um, second is ice inertia, but um, ice sheets um, move much slower. They're, they're slower feedbacks, not sea ice, but, um, but we're talking about um, the ice in, most of this inertia is in Greenland and in Antarctica. So that's starting to um, soften up. And he, you know, he, he talks about it in his book, how it, so it's like what's re recently happening in Antarctica. It's starting to, you know, it's really ramping up. And so in his book, he talks about um, this ice inertia, uh, this, this, he implies this, that, um, that it, it could, it could cool, it could slow down warming. That's, that's the, the impression I get. I could give you a quote. It's probably easier that I quote on that. Um, hold, hold on. Do you want to, do you guys want to continue while I find I can, okay. I can uh, continue a bit. Um, I just read the, you know, the latest um, nature articles and stuff on the, on the subject of uh, large icebergs going into the Southern Ocean from Antarctica. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it, uh, they've found out that uh, in the past, in the deep past, uh, we have had um, ice ages um, or sort of between ice ages going back to ice age. Uh, and uh, a big part of that mechanism has been large tabular icebergs from Antarctica going into the South Africa, South America, Indian Sea uh, territory and melting out. And the melt out uh, meltwater from those bergs have uh, changed the salinity. And that again has changed the um, the ocean currents and it's also drawn down from the atmosphere a lot of CO2, making it colder because there's less CO2 in the atmosphere. So that has been a part of the of the mechanisms of the uh, glaciations uh, previously. Uh, and but the main point that is way way down in the article, uh, the main point uh, that is that even though this has been a big mechanism before, uh, this will not happen this century because as you said uh, Karina uh, most of the uh, the heat that we're producing on this planet goes into the oceans right and and the problem is that the southern ocean is now too warm for icebergs to survive sailing through it and going north you know down in down south they say going north instead of go going south depends on the things that goes wrong you right uh, so, so you you cannot pass the you cannot pass the uh, southern ocean circular sea currents when that shit is like two or three degrees warmer than it used to be because the icebergs melt out really really fast uh, and there's also been some uh, some uh, research on the shape, uh, the, the cyano icebergs, how that is important to how fast they melt down. Basically, the 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 short the shorter outer walls you have, 
the longer you last in a way, you know, because it's only the ice that is in contact with the water, with the seawater that actually melts. And so if you have like a big fortress or a big sort of uh, rectangular iceberg that melts out slower. Yeah, it's, it's basically the which, which parts of the icebergs that are in contact with, with the seawater. Uh, and the, the other main point from those articles is that uh, even though this was a big part of the going back to Ice Age mechanism, uh, it was also, um, you know, these uh, planetary closer to the sun, farther away from the sun, these, these sort of variations that you have in the rotation of planets and, and uh, sky objects. Uh, so, sort of when, when, when the distance to the sun and, and the, the heat from the sun and whatever, uh, when that is sort of the, uh, the basic mover, then all of these uh, kind of uh, earthly ice mechanisms, they get, come in and they um, intensify or they amplify uh, that already existing uh, change of the yeah, um, I'm still I'm still trying to look for it. But um, going back to uh, the way that that they could affect it um, is like this is what Chris. Have you heard of Chris Van Steenbergen, um, Dean? No, he, no. he he's a he's a I believe he's Dutch independent scientist. He's on Twitter and he's been following. He's the only scientist that's really following this. Um this ice inertia, but the way he's following it is it's pretty, he's pretty doomy. I mean, like, I mean, what he's, he's, he's actually an apocalyptimist. He, he believes he has faith in humans and technology. However, he says that this possible cooling effect, we, it, it could slow things down, but it very only, we only have a few years. I mean, it, it's, you know, the, the overall picture looks horrific. You know what I mean? However, he, he probably is thinking, um, you know, because he's wants to fix the climate situation, like, like having more time to act or, um, now he's thinking, um, about that. We could, we're, we're officially now out of La Nina. We've just experienced a triple dip La Nina and climate models. We were supposed to have more El Ninos, but we had a triple dip La Nina and, 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 uh, and it's in some of, I read it, a scientist was talking about that. We're not, we're not modeling the ice sheets properly. The, most of the models that the IP, IPCC uses is not is not modeling. We keep on adding bells and whistles, but we're not adding in the ice sheets. Um, and so, so this triple dip La Nina really shocked scientists. And so, what what Chris Van Steenbergen is following right now, he's following all of the ice icebergs leaving Antarctica. He goes in very elaborate detail and he's thinking that this could keep us from going into another el nino i mean going prevent us we could he's hoping that we can go into another la nina to prevent overheating of the planet um and that we don't go into el nino so that's that's yeah, I, I think i think hoping is the key word <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I follow his uh, Twitter and uh, I've uh, looked at many of his uh, links and 
really good sites for uh, following the icebergs and stuff. And uh, yeah, so you know, I wish he was right, but uh, he seems to also to be sort of the only person hoping, or the only person sort of uh, finding hope in in that kind of thing. And it's it always interesting to to look into how these. Uh, these ice ocean interactions uh, work. Uh, so I'm thankful for, you know, being pushed to to look into that uh, yeah. more. And uh, he says that uh, everything will be decided in April, which, you know, that kind of guys always say, but, you know, yeah, we will, we can, we, you know, you and I, Karina, we can get, get back to that kind of uh, midway into April and stuff and see. It would be very interesting if, if we could actually, you know, stop the El Nino that way. Yeah. Because that, then I think we would see super tankers and military ships uh, towing, starting to tow icebergs up to the relevant areas and we could sort of stay cool yeah. by using uh, iceberg transports or, yeah. Yeah. And another thing that Hansen, so he does talk about this ice inertia being a big deal, right? But he doesn't talk about global civilization collapse and he doesn't talk about the methane. He he talks about in his book, he talks about um, methane and he goes back into paleoclimate and how, you know, the methane hydrates were behind the PETM and the Permian. And, you know, it, it's he's he, he really dig, digs in deep saying it really changes. You know, it gets a lot of carbon in the atmosphere in a very short time and, you know, paleo records. So he, but he, he never talks about like the, the work of the Russians and the ESAS. Now, Chris Van Steenbergen, he includes all of that, you know, he, he covers everything. So, um, so I don't know why Hansen, it frustrates me so much. I mean, he knows how the danger of Hansen knows of the danger of the, um, methane hydrates in shallow continental shelves. Uh, he doesn't specify, you know, in his book and he doesn't really specify where exactly, but you know, there's shelves all all across all over the, the you know the continents. Um, however, he doesn't he doesn't talk about the work of the Russians, which I find so weird because that is just I mean you just look at that and it's scary. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but yeah, I just wanted to leave it. Yeah, there. yeah, I, I started I started tracking the uh, the methane up uh, on Svalbard in uh, New Orleans. Yeah, is a research station called uh, the Zeppelin Mountain uh, Research Station. It's uh, it's driven it's driven by Norwegians and, and Swedes. Uh, so I managed to hack into their uh, uh, data. You hacked um, into their data. <laughs> data tables. Yeah, I, I you, you looked away, but I did the uh, quote unquote. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's it's really difficult for a normal person. To, to get access to their up-to-the-minute latest uh, measurements of methane. Yeah. But, you know, me being the old uh, university-educated information science uh, person, uh, I was uh, I was patient enough and uh, skillful enough to, you know, to pierce through like a Viking with my sword, yeah. pierce through the bullshit on their website and, uh, and get to the heart of it. So that's a long intro to saying that we are looking in April this year, we are looking to getting the very first annual average, let's say the whole year average 
it's going to be 2000 for the first time uh, 2000 parts per billion as the average for the entire year right mm -hmm. that's a massive is a massive uh, new milestone oh, for methane for, for what is that for methane, methane. Oh, for methane yes yes methane in the air at uh, 150 meters above sea level or yeah. something yeah. Uh, so the the entire arctic is just crazy high on methane yeah. and uh, and and the the curve is like this yeah, it's it's kind of going straight up like the human population curve, right? And uh, so that that's really crazy. But I think you know because Dean, you are our special guest here. We we have to you have to interact a little bit more. I think before you have to go. Um, so uh, I want to get back to this uh, the point about human agency, what we really can and cannot do on mm -hmm. this planet as human beings, as a species. Yeah as a an organized united nations uh, uh you know uh, which they tell us that we are but you know it's, it's kind of you have the official version and then you have the real version underneath uh, so my feeling is that the whole reason that they're doing the uh, climate science integration into the un system as we talked about it's uh, Part one is that they want to control it and keep the the, the loudest uh, voices down and uh, mm -hmm. having to do as little as possible. Uh, but the other thing, uh, some sort of more official reason, is that they want to have the best science available in order to maybe do something. That's kind of their their official uh, line, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that. Um, that requires that we are able to do something, you yeah. know, because if you we, if we weren't able to do something in the first place, that we didn't uh, need, we wouldn't have needed the the best scientific overview of the situation. So, uh, so Dean, uh, do you agree with me that uh, there's a precious little we actually can do, even if we could get our act together, there is very little we can do because of these feedbacks that are triggered and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I do think that there is precious little we can do for both of those reasons. One being the, the seamless tsunami wall of control of the people who have access to the most profitable and addictive power source that humanity has ever seen, um, you know, you just cannot overstate their commitment to draining every single drop of fossil fuels out of the planet, and they're going to sell it, and they're going to profit from it, and everyone else be damned. And so that's that's just what I see. And with regard to what's already in place and moving, uh, even if I just took 10% of Guy McPherson's uh, famous essay that he continued to add on the elements that are already moving, already in place, already tipping points, having tipped and so on, 
the, the number of ways in which we have taken ourselves beyond a point of no return, and only a small portion of them in my version have anything to do with climate change. Um, there are so many other global scale human caused predicaments that are already in place and in motion. Um, I, I don't see, I don't see a way out of either of those loops. And one thing I'd just like to mention, I'm not quite sure Karina, what, what work from the Russians you're talking about, if it's, um, if it's, you know, the, about methane and, and that they've been doing for, for decades now, or, or if it's something else, I'd like to just mention something that I think you were not talking about, but it overlaps. And that is something that I don't hear about in mainstream media at all, except for the things that I dig for, is the actual Russian production of fossil fuels in the Arctic Circle, which is extraordinarily active and it is a massive project involving multiple floating nuclear reactors to power new cities to be able to pull these fossil fuels out of the out of those offshore and onshore sources. Um, I just find that so uh, you know just tragically <laughs> uh, bordering on evil in the face of what we're what we're all talking about. And we try and put in the word agency when we have that scale of project going on. And then not to mention what the U.S. has just approved in Alaska and on and on the list goes. Uh, it seems like it's a moot conversation. It's, it's already a done deal. So I hope that's uh, not too dismal and doesn't shut down the conversation. But that's just what I'm seeing in both of those categories that you brought up, Torstein. Yeah, um, talking about, I, I was talking about Shakova and Similatov. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, it's interesting what you're bringing up. Um, the only reason we are still eating is because of fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So the reason Clearly. why we have 8 billion people. So they are just trying to keep this um, civilization going. Yeah. Um, so... I think this is where a lot of environmentalists don't understand that if we, you know, keeping it a ground in the ground means that we starve. So I, I think there needs to be an honest conversation of the fact that our, this yeah. civilization has been built on cheap fossil fuels. Yeah. And so they're just, yeah, they're just keeping it afloat, which it, hopefully it collapses soon. I'm kind of with Thorstein. I'm with the, um, that Derek Jensen, what group is that? Just let it all collapse. Um, and for the me, deep green, deep green, deep green resistance. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's happening on its own. And I think Derek Jensen and his group have accepted that. Let let it it's collapsing on its own. So let it collapse. You know. Um, but yeah. So what kills me though are all these environmentalists, all very privileged environmentalists. Um, you know in the privileged world that are just keep it in the ground, keep it in the ground. It's like, well, do you want to eat or do you want to starve? You know, so you choose. Yes. Uh, yes. I find myself in kind of the same place uh, because, you know, um, yeah, as I, as I usually say, it's going to collapse anyway. And, you know, in the meantime, 
do we want to eat or not eat in the meantime? And I would right. vote for, for eating in the meantime. <laughs> you know? the, it doesn't have to get more complicated than that. <laughs> That's <know>? right. <laughs> Pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's because, you know, the, the way that we're seeing the collapse going, I was listening to Jeremy Grantham, who is a billionaire. He, he's got a lot of interesting, you'd be surprised on how much he knows about the climate. Um, but he's he's definitely a hopium guy. But um he was talking about um what was he? Oh my gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh man. I just forgot what I was about to say. Oh, he said that uh economic chaos can come at anywhere. It, it could be in, you know, it's already happening in you're seeing I think a lot of the French protests are much more than than the pension of increasing the pension age from by two years it's a lot more than that france is really suffering more than other you know more than germany on ener their energy crisis is much worse than germany's because i think germany has subsidized of course it's coming to germany ah. so cool. yeah no i i pretty much i got my point across yeah yeah, after one hour, there is a there is a going down and going up again. I'm sorry about the, yeah, the disturbance. All right. Yeah, uh, so I think I think we really need uh, a lot of uh, dark humor. What's that called <laughs> exactly. again? Yeah. Uh, gallows gallows <laughs> humor in a situation, you know, because it's it goes from from dark to really dark. That's <clears throat> that's kind of the the differences within this field. And uh, as I told Dean. Uh, this past Tuesday, uh, you, you kind of need to to sit in the dark uh, and sit through the night and and see the early the first signs of morning and um, all kinds of things with the light at the end of the tunnel, all that all kinds of things like that. Uh, and many people these days, even within the Doomer and the climate community, are so afraid of going into that dark night of the soul where they really assess uh, the end of civilization and that kind of thing and that's why to my belief anyway that's why they they don't see that there is hope actually within that new field of, of research or the new field that opens up if you actually sit in that dark night and uh, think through those things and what are we willing to lose? What can we lose? Can we lose television and uh, uh, Love Island and those kind of things? Yes, I will. Yes, we can lose those things. Uh, can we lose all functioning ecosystems, all grass and tree species and all animals? No, we cannot lose that. that that's kind of the basic operating system mm -hmm. even for for humans on the planet we need mm -hmm. all of those things and uh, uh, but that is kind of uh, on the on the um, lucky end of the collapse you know when it collapses because it will collapse uh, yeah the the live the the the, the wild uh, plants and animals will get a boost because you no, no longer have uh, cities and industry and uh, people everywhere. Dean? Yeah, I, I'm, um, 
I think I'm seeing a way that I might be able to bridge to the word that you've included in today's agenda for the conversation about agency. Because everything I've said so far has been pretty dismal about agency at any level of what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it goes. And I hear all three of us very aligned on that. There is no agency for, for, from my view, uh, for the common folk. There, there is just none. The only place where I've encountered agency since really taking this on seriously, you know, creating the body of work that I'm doing and having my own practices in place and, and writing the book and so on is given what you just said, Thorstein. So how do we, how do we look out ahead beyond when it all go, collapses in? You're, you're, um, you're inviting us to find some sort of hopeful um, imagined future on the other side. And I, do, I hope you're right. I have no clue. It's above my pay grade. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I, I would take it. I would take inspiration from uh, you know from the Sami and the Inuit people who've been doing right. these uh, kind of uh, weird things in remote places for thousands of years. You know, like uh, herding get, reindeers. Yeah, I get, I, 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 I get it absolutely. I, I get yeah. what you're pointing at, and I guess what I wanted to just offer as sort of an overlap of what I can bring to today's conversation other than just similar to the both of you, like it's going to happen. So <laughs> yeah, is if I've got a, if I'm lucky enough to have a small number of people in my neighborhood, my family, somehow some people who are kindred spirits, people with whom I can have conversations like this, people with whom I can be honest about the sometimes really difficult feelings that come up around exactly this kind of thing. We're looking at the most difficult conversation in human history. It implies existential roots. And I'm, I know I'm not telling you anything new. I'm just trying to tell you how I orient, again, my own practices and then the work that I offer to support others. And that is, this is the only place where we do have agency. If, again, if I'm lucky enough to have a, a group of kindred spirits with whom I can meet on a regular basis and we can have a small supportive community, the only way I know to, to generate that kind of positive future or, or even just the thread, start to th imagine a thread, and we're going to go through some hard times between here and there. In order to go through those hard times, I need to cultivate agency. I need to cultivate self-awareness of how I get triggered when I'm sitting in a group of people with some of whom I don't agree with, and they say something that triggers me or I say something that triggers them. Do we have enough capacity to keep sitting in that circle to be able to work it out so that we prevail? There's an us that prevails at even the smallest level. That's where we have agency. How and, and the personal practices, the personal version of that is how can I expand my capacities to be present in the face of larger and larger stressors? Mm -hmm. And so if I've got that as a practice and you've got your version and Karina, you've got yours, 
then we bring those those practices sincerely to each other and say, hey, I need I need some help looking at some of my shadow today. I got some shadow going on because I'm telling you, I'm feeling upwelling of violence against the bullshit that I just saw on from that corporate voice or that government voice or that you know person on the other end of the political spectrum or whatever. That's how I can build out a, a capacity that includes having some agency, that includes having some uh, more internal space and awareness so that I can possibly be of service to the people I love, again, as these waves of larger stressors come through. So I just wanted to say something about agency that I think we actually could engage with, no matter how small a group or small a situation we actually live in. Yeah. Opposed, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to say, I, you, you, over the years, because I woke up in 2016 and a lot of your videos really helped me. And I went through a very long anger phase and, mm. and you really, really helped me. I think when you're in the anger phase, that's really important. Um, I'm kind of like, as who, who, who coined it? Post doom. Um, uh, what's Michael Dow. Michael Dow. Yeah, I'm in post doom, and um, I've been volunteering at my local uh, shelter from 2017, and um, we're kind of the front lines of the collapse. You know, uh, mm. I, I do dog walking and just, and and I've gotten very close to the other volunteers and and. This is, I can't talk about these things with them. However, I, they're, they know something is, is wrong in their subconscious. It's in my, they, you know, it's in my conscious, but I know. So I, I bite my, I've learned to bite my tongue a lot and just help them just with dealing with what they're frustrated about at the shelter. Yeah. Um, you know, cause you know, they're like, why is this all happening? And, you know, it, but they don't want to look at the big picture and that's okay. You know, I, I, I basically meet them where they're at yes, and I help move them to another state knowing the big picture of everything. Yes. And, um, I did, I was very courageous. I mean, I, I felt very nervous, but I, I shouldn't say I was courageous, but I did talk to the director and did say there are big, there were, there are problems around the world, you know, just trying to understand where the director is at in, in, because managing what's happening right now, you know, you kind of as a as the leaders have to know what's happening, you know, even if they don't yeah. want to know. That's who. I, but with the volunteers, no, you know. Um, of course, with the director, I didn't go into details, but I just said, you know, there's there's outside influences here going on, and um, it's yeah. going to get worse. And um, so, I just needed to know. I just needed to communicate that that to the, the, the director. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's sort of like I, I've, my, my friends are not, I don't really have friends, close friends in the Doomer community. My friends are the people that, that I share similar, similar values, similar interests, even if they don't know, um, what exactly is going on and that's okay i on facebook that's where i get my my support with the doomers around the world because you know it, it's really hard to find people locally you know who are who really will face this because i think 
to face this, you have to face your own mortality. And, you know, after, you know, uh, trying to uh, understand the work of Ernest Becker and, you know, we, a lot of our behaviors have to do with, we're the only species that knows that we're going to die, basically. You know, he's a, Ernest Becker is a cultural anthropologist and he wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning book, Death Denial, and, you know, while he was dying. And, um, and then Sheldon Solomon um, did, took, took his work and, and can't, you know, um, and spent his whole career getting empirical evidence on the work of Sheldon Solomon. I mean, uh, on Ernest Becker. So a lot of, a lot of people, the way people are acting right now, uh, Catherine, Catherine Ingram did a interviewed Sheldon Solomon in one of her episodes. And I mean, it was, it's just spot on the things that, especially with the left, how the left are acting, which is so baffling to me, you know? Um, so yeah, no, I highly recommend, um, Kat, if you YouTube, um, Catherine Ingram, Ingram, Sheldon Solomon, a lot of the weird behaviors that we're watching right now, you can find, you, mm. Sheldon Solomon can explain in his. In his <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, think, I, I think locally, locally, uh, where I live in Greenland, I'm for the first time in my life in a very, very special situation where the, you know, 85% uh, Inuit uh, majority, uh, where the, the government of Greenland and the people are so way ahead of all the rest of us. So way ahead of Scandinavia, EU, America, Japan, whatever. Uh, just two years ago, first time I voted, no, second time I voted in the elections up here, the new government after the election, first thing they do is on summer solstice, they uh, they ban oil, coal, and gas exploration for all future in Greenland and Greenland seas. So it's like, okay, that wasn't expected. That wasn't what right. anyone asked for, but they just did it anyway because uh, they they value the clean fjords and the the clean water and soil where people hunt and fish. They value that. Uh, before you know financial um, financial uh, fortune or whatever because they they realize that all kinds of extraction from from the sea and the and the land eventually pollutes that land uh, and base and then people get cancer from eating the fish and, uh, and the crabs and stuff so it's it's, it's like um, yeah uh, for the first time, I've experienced genuinely, genuinely reasonable and uh, ecological government. And it's fantastic. Is it, nice. There's nothing to pro there's nothing to protest about. <laughs> the, the, I haven't, I haven't once, I haven't for once felt the urge to go out into the street and say, "Don't do this, Greenland. Please don't do this," because they're they're doing all the right things and then some. And, and it's it's kind of yeah, to me as a as a, an individual as a person, it's it's very good because I've been on this uh, to uh, phase out activism from my life mm -hmm. because I realized that it wasn't going anywhere, 
and uh, you know like the agency discussion there's really nothing we can do anyway so so why be on this activism horse uh, you know if it's just uh, redundant you know if it's just a, a moot point or a a, a death cramp like you when you when you catch a fish there on death cramps down in your yeah. bag for many many hours afterwards and, and those death cramps from my activist life i'm trying to put to rest uh, so that i can uh, yeah basically be put to rest myself or, or, or be free to do other other stuff mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. in, my, in my life uh, so that's a local situation and uh, i wanted to Say that I really appreciated your, your previous uh, uh, comment, uh, Dean, and uh, I, I totally agree. And I think it's pretty creative that you, you talk about the, the agency that we do have. You know, we we right. we made we made uh, clear that we don't have agency in the larger climate uh, war uh, situation, but we very rightly do have agency when it comes to for instance uh creating these meeting spaces you know where we can talk among ourselves and uh and also <coughs> talk to the audience on the on on the youtube live chat and uh, I, I think that's important i think it's uh, important not in an activist way to become you know hundreds or thousands of people uh in in a socially powerful way i don't think that's i don't think that is our agenda uh, but it's more like helping people who are like in the illustration for this episode with a raging storm on the sea and, and people standing on different mm. cliffs and islands with lights uh, points of lights uh, we need to be have solidarity you know amongst ourselves we need to mm -hmm be a little bit more resilient uh, than what people usually are these days uh, and not take any little thing that comes up and let that be sort of the goodbye uh, line be between us because there's the the entire culture now is about splitting people you know splitting yourself from each other and uh, and we can't have that because we, we can't really afford to <coughs> to lose a friend for every new international piece of news coming up. Yeah. Mm. I need something for my throat. <laughs> well, it's coming on time that I've got to start to uh, fade out of this conversation. And Karina, it's really good to meet you. I so appreciate you have obviously a very vivid view um, of the various things that you take on to research. And uh, that kind of clarity and your ability to articulate, I think you have a really strong voice, clear voice for a conversation like this. I appreciate what you've been doing. Oh, yeah, thank, thanks for the kind words. Mm -hmm. um, we... Before you go, Dean. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, to, you know, hear your, your feedback on this. Um, I saw 
it started when I saw something on somebody on Twitter saying that the IPCC, this is like just from my memory, but the, the IPCC, uh, in his opinion, was and is the biggest conspiracy in all of human history. And he was coming from, from our side of the this discussion, right? So sure. he was coming from from uh, the perspective of seeing the IPCC climate panel as uh, some somebody who is covering up the fact that the entire culture that we have built over 12,000 years is coming to a crash in our lifetimes. That is basically the, their main job is to sit there and spew little facts and uh, reports and, <coughs> and stuff and make uh, incredibly bad uh, live live streams from their <laughs> from their press releases. Mm. I did I did live streams uh, releasing our web projects for the the Sami radio in Copenhagen <coughs> back in 1999. 1999, we, we managed to stream live video and audio from Copenhagen, but, but the IPCC somehow can't in 2023. It's incredible. So, so what do you think about the proposition that the biggest conspiracy of all time is what the IPCC has been doing and has been created to do? Yeah, I, I get the point, and I think it's essentially accurate. I just don't believe that that's the the largest scale that we can be talking about in terms of that that level of conspiracy. I'm not really a conspiracy person, but in terms of what you're talking about, the control of our global cultural narrative it is so complete and it is so intense. Uh, you know, I started really bringing it in when I wrote my book. I couldn't believe that I hear I was talking about Edward Bernays and the beginning of propaganda and so on, and how that has come to be just weaponized at a global scale. It is what controls our thinking and our actions completely now. And one small part, one small but very important part, is how they created the IPCC to to have it go exactly the way it needed to go, and that the uh, rest of us would just have to accept that that's the best way for this to be happening. Um, so I I agree, I think it's essentially accurate, and I would couch it that it is a small facet in a much larger control strategy that will see us uh, go into a wave within my old guy lifetime of large scale purging of population, massive suffering, and so on. The things that we, I think we're all very aware of. So that's how I would respond. Yeah, thank you for that. That was, that was really really brilliant um so um maybe what do you say karina should be should be uh, end this together good, with the... yeah let's end it yeah, yeah i think this is a good uh really really enjoyed a, the conversation it's it's very 
I feel very emotionally nourished mm. um, by the things that you guys, you know, cause I'll, I find myself going deep into the science part and yeah. I, I need to do more of the emotional stuff. So mm -hmm. this has been a really, it's been very helpful for me. Well, Karina, you're always welcome as is anybody who's watching this thing. Uh, you're always welcome to come and check out the various kind of offerings and support that we have available. Um, that's really the territory that we we land in in the in the work that I do because uh, there's there's just too much of the data. Yeah. We're now at the flood stage and I, I gag on it. I, it's too much for me to be able to process or hold. So you're always welcome. And Thank it's you. really been a joy to meet you and, and to spend time with you both and have these conversations. I, I very much appreciate being invited. Thanks. Yeah, this was great. Thank, thank you guys, both of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, you know, you all, you all said it already. Um, Karina, can you just uh, hang around after after sure. we uh, end it, just for sure. you and me? That's uh, great. Uh, so, uh, Dean, thank you very much, and I would uh, I would recommend everybody to do just what Dean said and uh, check out his uh, his uh, weekly um, uh, conversations, his his weekly weekly support calls, um, and he has a lot of material uh, about. The situation with his book and uh, read the support material for his uh, closed circles. <clears throat> Thorstein, is it possible to put uh, links to my community yeah, space yeah. and and link and the uh, website? It's all there in my email. Um, yeah, just uh, if you signature. can just uh, if you can just send me an edited uh, uh, suggestion, I will put it in the show notes. That's super. Okay, it's actually there yeah. in all of our uh, emails. Any of my emails has each yeah. of those links. So, yeah, that's super. That's super. And uh, we hope okay. to have you back uh, whenever the IPCC declares to, to quit <laughs> doing what they do, or, or or for some other big event. And then we would like to have you back, Dean, or even before that. So, I you know maybe you. next maybe next time I come we could uh, start at the point that Karina was just talking about, you know, what is it to offer each other some emotional nourishment and some space holding for that side of the conversation? It, that's, you know, really what, what uh, lights me up. So uh, anything remotely like that, feel free to give me a call as well. <laughs> Super. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. See you guys later. Right. Take care.